I'm on Twitter quite a bit. Before I get into this episode, I'm just sharing that I'm still recovering from the COVID. So if I cough or sound a little hoarse, that's what's going on. Sorry. I'm on Twitter quite a bit. I love to rage tweet, share my thoughts about Meghan and Harry, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, when I need something light to think about and support and random comedic tweets about Colorado and American life in general. And obviously I spend a great deal of time sharing financial takes, both mine and other people's. So when I came across a tweet that asked the following question, why are we normalizing $2,000 a month rent? It really stuck with me. I haven't rented for quite a long time. I own a small and quirky property that I bought super conservatively due to lingering financial trauma from past difficult financial times. So when I was buying my place, I was like, I need to be able to afford it if things go left. And because I bought the way that I did, I was able to go into entrepreneurship, things like that. It hasn't been perfect, but that was kind of what I was thinking about at the time. I actually also find myself thinking about the cost of housing a lot. We hear about how expensive it is to buy, especially now that the interest rates have gone up, how short-term rentals have negatively impacted local housing inventory and driven their neighbors nuts, and how certain cities have become so out of reach for the regular everyday person who literally is part of the reason that the city can run the way that it is. You need all types of people in a community. At the same time, we see the constant poverty porn about the growth of unhoused populations in towns across the nation. In fact, I recently shared a podcast episode about that. It's wild to me that we all seem to be confused about what is pushing people out of stable housing. I'm in the process of preparing my little property to hopefully be rented out by the fall of 2023. I would love to travel the world and explore something that I haven't prioritized even before COVID because I was paying off a shit ton of debt. What may surprise you is that I've decided to rent out my property ethically. No, I'm not saying that how you're renting your property is unethical. You know, I want you to hear that. I'm saying that I've decided to rent out my property with social equity in mind. I would like to rent it ideally to a single POC woman like myself who would enjoy living in Denver, but would be unable to afford the current average monthly rent for the city, like most people. Basically, I'm looking to rent out my place with below market rates. Curious about what I'm thinking? Listen on. Welcome to Michelle is Money Hungry. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson. I focus on holding financial conversations that lean into social equity, policy, and access with a splash of pop culture. My goal is to lead these conversations with empathy and help both my listeners and myself learn more about money along the way. I'm gearing up for my next season of content focused on the unexpected financial turning points in American women's lives. I'm still looking for brand partners to bring this project to life. If you're interested in partnering with me, feel free to reach out via my email, michelleismoneyhungry at gmail.com, or you can DM me if you follow me on Twitter. I'm very active there. If you would like to be a guest, pay attention to my social feeds for more information because I will make announcements as I begin looking for guests to record with. Get 
deciding to move when my mom and I were living together all those many years ago. She had lost her job and I was supporting the both of us on student loans and my part-time Starbucks money. Even though the apartment we were living in was lovely, it wasn't ideal for our situation. And quite honestly, the landlady was a little low-key controlling and nuts. She was for the most part okay, but when I moved in, when we moved in initially, she made a point of giving us like a plastic cover for the kitchen counter. It was a lovely kitchen counter. It was wood. And she's like, I want you to put this over it because I don't want anything to scratch it. And I should have known then that she was just a weirdo because I'd never had a, a landlord do that. But anyway, there came a point where that place, as lovely as it was, just wasn't ideal for our situation. So I started looking for a new place. Luckily, I found a two bedroom apartment for around $900 a month. And it was actually eight blocks away from the apartment we were in at the time. So I was super excited about this because it was going to be a pretty straightforward and very easy move. There was one roadblock though. So when I met the owner of the small apartment building that I would eventually become a renter in, I actually felt an immediate connection with him. He reminded me of Boulder, the town I grew up in. He was hippie. He was super hippie working on the building the day that we met up. And looking back, I'm also convinced that he owned the building outright because it seemed like how he thought about the property and our negotiation was really different than previous landlords. Basically, I don't think he owed a mortgage on it anymore on the property or it was very, very low and he was fine. I filled out the application and I think it was like a $25 fee and it was literally one of maybe two times in my life that I've paid an application fee. I feel like that's a whole nother podcast episode and, you know, the business of application fees. But in this case, it was only 25 bucks and not a big deal. There was, of course, a question about my credit score. And quite honestly, my credit score at that time was in the shitter. Seriously, I had so much debt and I was just trying to survive the stress that was my financial life at that moment in time. So I told him the truth. Ralph, that was his name. I have terrible credit, but I'm a great tenant. He looked at me and said the following. Don't worry about it. I've run credit checks before on people and have had terrible renters with great credit. He took a chance on me and he was a huge blessing to my mom and I. Because of the stability of that home, I was in the position to buy the home that I currently own. So I went from that situation to home ownership. He took a risk on me, but more importantly, he provided affordable housing at a time when I truly needed it. And the cost of housing in my town was rapidly increasing. According to census.gov, the median American annual earnings for 2020 was $41,535. So when I was looking for housing at that time, I was making significantly less and he just was like, yeah, you're fine. By the way, he wasn't the only landlord in my life to provide affordable, clean, and well-maintained housing. I've watched the developments around affordable rentals, van life, short-term rentals, and people living in trailers on the edges of many of our towns. And in fact, when I was in LA the last time, and I, I live tweeted that trip, I saw in a beautiful part of LA, there were definitely a lot of RVs where people were residing. So it's not unique to Denver, but I'm just sharing this. I have some thoughts. What is going on with the price of housing? 
I'll never forget when COVID hit and almost overnight extended family members of my white neighbors, because it's a very white neighborhood, were living in RVs in front of the homes in our neighborhood. So these RVs weren't there before. And for several months in 2020, there were RVs throughout the neighborhood. There's one now, but um, there were a number of them. It was very noticeable because it happened right in March, April, because people lost their jobs. And Again, it was noticeable for the neighborhood that I live in. I'd seen people living in RVs or random spots around town, including the Ruby Hill neighborhood, which is notable for the Levitt Pavilion concert venue that has free and inexpensive concerts here in Denver throughout the summer season. How is $2,000 a month rent affordable to people making $41,000 median a year? I think about that like all the time. In fact, I found a rent calculator that helps people figure out what they can afford in in monthly rent with the salary that they're currently earning and then calculating like if you have debt as well, what that means for your rent payment. If someone owes $500 in debt payments, think like some credit cards or student loans or car loans, then the rent they can afford according to the calculator that I was using was $730. I capped it at $500, right? Most people are paying more than that in monthly debt repayments. That's $1,300 less in terms of rent. So the calculator said you could earn, you could pay $730 a month. That's $1,300 less than the $2,000 average rent that we have here in Denver right now. I don't necessarily begrudge people for charging what they want to charge for their rentals. I don't. But I do want to ask some questions. Just because we can do a thing, does it mean that we should? Is it time for local cities and towns to start really having deeper conversations around minimal affordable housing builds? Cities just have to keep up with housing. Right now, my city, they're just building luxury accommodation, right? Um, it's, it's a thing. Short-term rentals. Really interestingly, interestingly enough, in Atlanta, they're starting to really aggressively combat how short-term rentals look in that city because people can't find places to rent. Here in the state of Colorado, especially in mountain towns and more rural communities that are basically tourist destinations, people can't live and work there. So if you are a teacher, a fireman, you know, a bartender, Um, just a regular human, like a regular person, you cannot afford to live in the mountains. You cannot afford to live in those places. I've met people who are like, yeah, we're living in our car until we can find like a roommate. It gets cold up there. It snows. It is snow. It is already snowing. At the time that I've recorded this episode, it's the first week of October. It has already begun snowing the mountains since August. Not every day, but it snows and people are living in their cars. We need programs to help provide funds for lower income citizens who are an important part of of a town's social fabric. How are they supposed to afford things if it's just so beyond reach? If If they're not even earning the amount that matches the average, the median. In fact, sometimes I even wonder about people buying properties in other states. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I do wonder what would happen if we prioritized home ownership programs and affordable housing for people originally from those towns that we are finding these opportunities and really epic deals in. 
I guess what I'm wondering is maybe there are folks who would love to be homeowners, but can't because people like us who have more resources, who swooped in and bought those homes in their towns have kept them from them. Or maybe there are people who would love to live in the mountains or cute towns around the United States, but can't because basic financial gatekeeping ranging from rents, location, and industries, and transportation is impacting their ability to be in those places. Ultimately, there's a point when we have to ask ourselves, why are we acting like all of this is normal? It's not. And I think sooner rather than later, we're going to find that out. You you know, I feel like COVID was that harbinger of doom. Like, hey, we've got this global pandemic and these people have lost their jobs and we're doing all these things to kind of help them. And we're, we're out of that phase, right? But a recession will change everything. And I've already talked about the fact that I believe recessions are always going to happen. It's just the ebb and flow of an economy. And so then my question would be, have we lost sight of this? That that the fact that what goes up will go down. What will you do when your tenants begin losing their jobs and are unable to pay your $2,000 a month rent? I think about that. Just because we can do certain things doesn't mean we should. And there may be a consequence. And it's something to think about. It's something to consider. I don't want you to not benefit from the opportunities that you have, but I feel like maybe within the opportunity, like if you own five properties, maybe one of them is run in such a way that someone like me, who's down on their luck, but is working hard, is a great tenant, would be able to rent with you. The other reason why I brought this topic up, there was a viral TikTok video with a young lady who bought what looked like an abandoned hotel, motel kind of situation. It was a motel. And she renovated it and it looked amazing. And when she renovated it, she was like, these are going to be short-term rentals versus rentals, long-term rentals with renters. And people were very passionate about why did you opt to do that? one person and I tweeted about this. I was like, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? Because I, I wasn't sure what to think. Like I wasn't against her doing it, but at the same time I do, I was like, well, dang, like maybe out of the, I feel like there were like 20 units in my head. I was like, maybe five of those units could have been long-term rentals just because she could. Right. I, I just, I always kind of have that idea that there's some social good we can do within the projects that we're working on. Anyway, this episode has been a little bit of a ramble. I'm curious about what you guys are thinking in terms of home ownership, opportunity, and $2,000 rents. Let me know. I'm curious. I'm curious.